0: Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are with us in person, are joining us via live stream, or watching on demand at some later date, we're glad for the opportunity to worship with you today. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. When you think about it, it's amazing that through the gift of technology, we can connect to one another, regardless of location, and worship together. No matter when or where you are watching from, we're glad you are here with us. Here at Dayspring, we believe nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just curious about church, or maybe you're just looking for some hope. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. Your journey matters to us and we would love nothing more than to walk with you. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church or by checking out our Facebook page. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. To help you get the most out of the message today, we've prepared some discussion questions to help you process what you are learning on your own or with others. You can find the discussion guide in our resources section of our website. And now, let's worship together. Well, if you're just joining us today, whether it's here in the room or online, we are well on our way, well into our summer series, How Do You Recognize a Christian? Uh, We're studying the letters uh, written by the Apostle John to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And though we haven't reached this verse yet, in the verse 13 of chapter five, John tells us that he wrote these letters to provide us with assurance of our salvation. It's possible to be a follower of Christ and still have doubts about your faith. We all have doubts at some point or points on our journey. Questioning your faith is normal. You might even say it's healthy. If you don't wrestle with the questions and work through the doubts, how will you ever help someone else who faces them? Uh, John's desire is to help us successfully navigate through those points. So how do you know if you're saved? Well, John has presented some characteristics that will begin to appear in our lives as we live in fellowship with God and other Christ followers. Uh, that fellowship will develop some things in us that, are, that we have in common uh, with other people, which is what the word fellowship means. It's in common. Before Christ, we had nothing in common with the God of the universe. Our faith in Christ has given us something in common. And that something in common will grow to some things in common as we become more like Jesus. Now, as we've seen, joy is one of the characteristics or outcomes of our fellowship with God when we are in fellowship we will have joy regardless of our circumstances because joy is a gift that the holy spirit gives to every believer through fellowship if we don't have joy we know that we have a problem with our fellowship that we can work through Uh, by the way joy doesn't mean that we ignore our other emotions we still grieve and loss we still hurt when things are painful valleys are still valleys Joy isn't a shallow emotion. Joy connects our hardships and trials with meaning and purpose. It's a heart decision. You can not be happy and still be joyful. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. We have joy when we trust that God has it all under control, even in the midst of life's worst storms. Now, besides joy, walking in the light is another characteristic of life in fellowship with God and other Christ followers. Light walking isn't just choosing to not do wrong, but also choosing to do right. And the ultimate expression of right is how we agape love others. And in John's black and white view of the world, where you are either walking in the light or you're dancing with the dark, we also love like Christ or we hate Now from there, John transitioned to discernment as the next characteristic. The ability to discern between uh, light and dark, love and hate, and truth and error was the next characteristic that grows through our fellowship with Christ and other Christ followers. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world around us, and by that we mean the system of the world controlled by Satan that fights against the kingdom of Christ. On the physical uh, earth as well as in the spiritual realm. That system has made common sense uncommon sense because it is our fellowship that gives us the discernment to tell the difference and the further our moorings from Christ centered morality the less one is able to tell the difference. While I was gone, John and Michelle unpacked discernment further, working through chapter 3 by examining Christ and why he came and why love is the ultimate expression of a life lived in fellowship with him. All of these characteristics, which are outcomes of fellowship with God and other Christ followers, give us confidence that we've put our faith in the right place. The lack of these characteristics helps us understand where we have a fellowship problem. Now, for those of you here or watching online who are just checking out Jesus, let me be the first to admit that we don't always live these characteristics out out well. No excuses. We're sorry. We don't represent Jesus well, more than we should. If you really want to know what life looks like when you follow Christ, start with what the Bible says. Always use Jesus as the benchmark, not his followers. At our best, we're still learning to walk in the light. We will always be dim bulbs in comparison to Christ. So start there. And then look for someone living out these characteristics, even if a bit imperfectly, to help you, uh, to help understand, help you understand your questions. Uh, whatever you do, don't let our failures get in the way of your investigation. Now that brings us up to speed. Today, John continues to unpack discernment as we move into chapter 4. Uh, let's pick it up right at verse 1. Uh, as pastors, uh, we were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, John, uh, Pastor John asked me why I don't use my physical Bible when I'm, when I'm teaching. And I said, John, I'm 53 years old. My eyes don't work the same way that yours do. <laughs> I thought about bringing one up here today just to illustrate it, but then I'd be like, can someone in the first row hold it for me? So, that's why, John. Okay, John writes, dear friends, do not believe, circle that word if you've got your physical Bible, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test, circle that one, you must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. Now, those of us who have been in church for a while understand that the world is dark and getting darker. We've seen the darkness accelerate these, uh, over these past 18 months. Uh, Though I don't believe the average person feels this way, the voices that once screamed for tolerance have given way to hate. You are either for or against. There is no middle ground. And you aren't for unless you drink the Kool-Aid. Now, for you young whippersnappers watching, that phrase comes from the 70s Jim Jones cult. He talked over 900 people into drinking cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. That's the kind of commitment people expect from us right now on whatever topic. It's all or nothing. It's been happening since the beginning of time, and it will only continue to get worse. Lies are called truth. Dark is called light. Uh, Throughout history, the church, capital C, hasn't fared well in the court of public opinion. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Bible paints a pretty dark picture about what's to come. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus said that his followers would be hated all over the world. And then just a few verses later, he said that many false prophets will arise and mislead many. He said that people's love will grow cold. He said that even Christians would be at risk of being deceived by false prophets and false Christ's. Uh, The Apostle Paul added to these thoughts in his first letter to Timothy when he said that in the last times, some of us would turn away to follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Uh, In his second letter to Timothy, he added that there will come a time when sound doctrine will fall by the wayside. People will just want to hear whatever makes them feel good. In chapter two of this letter, even John has already addressed the spirit of the Antichrist and the siren call to love the world instead of christ the ability to discern sound doctrine is a key component to a continued walk in the light now the whole topic is important enough that john returns to the subject of discerning between truth and error just a few paragraphs later for us it's more than a chapter but in the original letter it would have been a continuation of his thoughts from before what's interesting here is that he directs these instructions not to teachers, but to hearers. Yes, as a teacher, I will certainly be held to account for what I teach. And in this context, John is making you my accountability partner. But I'm only one source of teaching in your life. The world is trying to indoctrinate you into its way of thinking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 30 minutes once a week with me can't compete with hours and hours of the news and social media and every other place we hear messages of so-called truth. You are responsible for what you believe. You are responsible for how you act on what you believe which means you need to be able to discern between truth and error. The lies are only going to get worse as time passes by, and Satan is going to continue to mask lies in Christian-sounding rhetoric. Chapter 2 addresses the spirit of the world that fights against the work of Christ from outside the church. Here John is flipping the script and adding the spirit of the world that seeks to corrupt doctrine from inside the church. Now, if you think this, of this whole passage as one continuous thought, he's saying, yes, watch what comes at us from without, but also watch from within, which is really much more insidious because it masquerades as light. It isn't that difficult to tell the difference between the dark and the light. It's much harder to tell the difference between light and almost light john wants us to be aware that not every spiritual teacher is a credible spiritual teacher so don't take anything from anyone at face value in fact john begins chapter four by giving us two commands one negative and one positive do not believe every spirit and test the spirit Now, the word translated spirit in the original language is pneuma. It means breath or wind. It is used to describe non-material or non-physical nature, either human or angelic. Uh, Here, it means the person who is inspired by the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Don't believe every word you hear. Test every word. And as we're going to see, include the speaker in your testing every speaker is inspired or motivated or empowered by something every speaker is a broken person who brings that brokenness to their stage with them those motivations are generally hidden or at least unseen it could be a spirit of wickedness or a spirit of righteousness a spirit of falsehood or a spirit of truth a spirit of self-interest or a spirit of love sinfulness or holiness teachers of error are under satanic influence or deception, whether they know it or not. And often in the context of inside the church, I believe they themselves are deceived. They might think they are teaching truth, but that doesn't make it any less influenced by satanic deception. Error never finds its source in heaven. And then teachers of truth are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The words believe and test call for a continuous action or vigilance on our part. And in the original language, they are plural, which means that this is a community responsibility. We are all called to be doctrine detectives. Don't be gullible and examine everything to determine genuine biblical theology. Now, what's important is that we be looking at the right things. Too often, we're impressed by degrees and titles. We can even look at worldly success markers like the size of the church and the international fame of a speaker, the number of books they've written, uh, the famous people they hobnob with, and think that those things matter when it comes to the truth and error of a teacher's teaching. They don't. Every teacher is susceptible, including me, And just because they have a track record of truth doesn't mean they won't slide into error tomorrow. Uh, For my own accountability, every message I bring has been seen by at least one other person. It's just one way that I double-check my own thinking to make sure that I only communicate truth from this platform. But John isn't talking about me, the speaker here. He's talking about you, the hearer. The bottom line is that our standard is the Word of God, period. And in order to do what John is calling us to do here, we must have a thorough understanding of the Christian faith. Now, fortunately, in the next two verses, John tells us where to start. Uh, This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. Now the place to start is Jesus. He informs 95% of our theology. So does this person teaching confess Jesus as God incarnate? Uh, Is Christ the eternal Son of God? Is Jesus their Savior and Lord? Do they point other people in that direction? Is, Is Christ the center of their teaching? If there is no glorifying of Jesus as God, then there is no spirit of God present. In the original language, John is pretty clear about this. Uh, The words translated as claiming to be a prophet here in the New Living Translation uh, in the original language means more than just conceding that something is true. It is that, but it also conveys a profession of allegiance, meaning that it takes both words and deeds to make the confession true. Does the way they live match what they say? one without the other creates a problem verse three is the negative antithesis of verse two those who deny the truth about jesus are both not of god and are of the antichrist which also ties what john is saying here to what he said in chapter two now remember that john's original context Uh, was speaking about the Docetists, which was an early form of Gnosticism. They said that Jesus came only in spirit, not in body. He was a ghostly phantom, kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost, not a physical man. Uh, A man named Serenthus also taught that the Spirit of God that empowered Jesus at his baptism left him at the cross, which is not true. Now, though that was John's original context, we shouldn't limit our understanding to John's original context. Flawed theology has gotten more sophisticated through the years, and not all theology mentions Jesus specifically. For example, there is a movement within the Capital C Church that calls their leaders apostles or prophets. For them, these aren't just titles of honor, like when some of you call me Pastor Chris when we're talking face-to-face. Uh, if you were instead to call me Prophet Chris or Apostle Chris, it might be a little more problematic, but it wouldn't necessarily be heresy, not if it was just simply a title of office. Instead, this movement elevates their leaders, in their opinion, to the level of apostles of equal authority to Paul and John and the other first century apostles. They argue that we've entered a new apostolic age and that the words of these new apostles are doctrine at the same level as paul's now scripture and the first century church would have a different viewpoint they taught that the authentic offices of apostles and prophets were limited to the earliest church helpful for the founding of the church but once we had the scriptures these offices were no longer necessary and paul implied that Seeing the resurrected Jesus was one of the criteria for apostleship, as well as accompanying signs and wonders and miracles. No one today has seen the resurrected Jesus as Paul meant, even if they've performed miracles. The second century church uh, even rejected an inspirational book titled Shepherd of Hermas as scripture because it was written after the time of the apostles and prophets, so why would someone's words now rate the same authority as paul's and james and peter's no one can legitimately claim to be an authoritative apostle or prophet with john's or paul's authority in the church today but sometimes you have to dig to figure out whether a church is a part of this apostolic movement and there are some big influential ministries uh, here and around the world that believe this junk behind the scenes even if they're starting to deny it publicly. Now all that to say that false doctrine often masks itself in words that sound like Jesus but are really other than Jesus. So while we may start where John does, we can't really stop there. For the Christ follower, everything is theology. Everything theology and a little bit of yeast or falsehood spoils the whole batch John is concerned with the issue of bad theology in their context it primarily entered the church through Christians adding to or taking away from Jesus teachings based on what the pagan religions had taught them prior to entering the church I think John would have the same care about theology in our modern internet age context being corrupted by non-Christian sources. Uh, let me give you a, a couple of examples. First, think about the kids today. They are indoctrinated for 12 years that life is a choice. The church doesn't talk about it as much as the world does. Uh, Kids are indoctrinated about sex Uh, The church doesn't talk about it as much as the world does So is it any surprise that after years of indoctrination there is bad theology about life and sex in young believers? Now don't get me wrong There are plenty of older Christians who don't practice what they preach in this area, but their disobedience comes from a different place It's still bad theology, but it isn't based in ignorance about theology, just disobedience. We can't say the same about kids. Now second, think about how many hours people spend absorbing content every week. CNN, Fox News, YouTube, social media, podcasts, talk radio, movies, TV shows, and on and on and on. When we overwhelm our brains with thinking that is based in a different worldview, there is an impact on what should be our Christ centered worldview. Most of us spend more time absorbing secular content than Christ centered content. And because everything impacts theology, we put our Christ centered theology at risk. We smudge the lines between light and dark because the dark is so good at making itself look like light. Satan is an expert at making lies sound good and feel good at least long enough to lead you off of Jesus' center. And dropping back to John's words here, confessing Jesus is more than just what someone says, it's also how they live. So we also need to be mindful of a consistency between what someone teaches and how they live out that teaching. Don't believe everything you read on the internet or see on Facebook. In fact, maybe don't believe anything you see on Facebook. (laughs) You've got to dig deeper than Facebook. And in the blogosphere, anyone can call themselves an expert, but it doesn't make them one. So dig, don't be gullible, test everything. Just because a source was correct yesterday doesn't mean that they will be correct today or tomorrow or about every topic. It might feel a little overwhelming, but there's good news beginning in verse 4. John wraps up this warning against false teaching by contrasting two groups. You, those people, or they, and we. Now, as you might expect, you and we refer to those who profess Christ and those people or they refer to those who are from the world. He writes, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Now, this is a verse that you should highlight in your Bible. He who lives in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's a great truth to hang on to when you are in a valley or facing hardship or temptation. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. Uh, God is greater. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You aren't facing this alone. That phrase, you have already won a victory over those people, might seem a little weird. Uh, John probably has in mind the antagonists of Christianity, the false teachers and prophets, those with the spirit of Antichrist. By virtue of our relationship with Christ, you have already risen above the lies and deception. You're already at least one step ahead of them. And with the Holy Spirit in you, you have what you need to discern between truth and error. It's never our own holiness or wisdom or strength that leads us to truth. It's always the Holy Spirit working in us. Verse 5. Those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. Now, we see this all the time in our culture. Those people say what tickles the ears of the world because they belong to the world. More and more we see those people who speak truth, objects of ridicule and derision. We are labeled as foolish, ignorant, narrow-minded, bigoted, hateful, and even dangerous. Well, of course we're dangerous. Light chases away the darkness. We are dangerous to the dark. I mean, as long as we're living in the light, we're dangerous to the dark. We're a little less dangerous when we dance with the dark. We aren't running a popularity contest here. We are warriors in an epic spiritual battle for life, and greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We're on the winning side. The question is just how many people we're going to take with us. Because we belong to God. Verse 6, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Now, Just as there's an affinity between the world and those who speak to or for the world, there is also an affinity between the people of God. True believers uh, believe in and embrace the commonality that we have in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. There is something spiritual that happens when we are together. I've been with Christ followers all over the world. Something spiritual ties us together regardless of age, culture, and language. I am instantly a part of their family and they mine. When I I connect with believers in Peru or Argentina or wherever, it isn't just here in our local church. And it happens when and because we faithfully devote ourselves to walking in obedience to Christ in Fellowship We live in a really incredible time in history now more than ever we have access to some of the best and Worst teaching in the world. It's all on demand all the time Uh, My in-laws start Sunday mornings early. They watch a service on the East Coast and then uh, one in the Midwest and then hours there is Always teaching both good and bad, religious and secular, available on your newsfeed, on several channels of your TV if you're still old school and have cable. Uh, YouTube has more teaching in a year uploaded every hour of every day than than you you could process in a year. All content, secular and religious, seeks to either undermine your worldview or strengthen it. So don't be wowed by the glitz and glamour or the charisma. Don't believe everything you hear and test everything against Scripture. Now, when you're trying to discern between truth and error, listen carefully to what's said and what's not said. But even more, uh, look closely at the way those who are doing the teaching live their lives. Good doctrine bears good fruit, consistent fruit. And maybe even look at the lives of those who follow the teacher you are watching. They should begin to live the same way as well. The early church had a more holistic view of teaching than we do. We tend to limit our thinking to what happens on a stage like this. But the early church saw teaching as what happened in a teacher's daily life. Did they live consistently with God's word when they weren't actually preaching? How I treat you is teaching. Uh, how I treat the clerk at Target or where? or McDonald's is teaching. How I talk to my wife and my children is teaching more so than what I say on stage. How I handle valleys, every moment of my life is teaching more people than just the few hundred who are a part of our church. People all over our community are watching wondering if Jesus really changes lives. All of that is fruit of good or bad doctrine. If what I say is true, but it doesn't work its way into the way I live, there is a doctrine problem in my life. By the way, all of that's true for you too. In fact, John's going to return to the subject of love in the next section of this letter. Love is one bellwether indicator for truth. Does what you believe make a difference in the way you treat others? Does it lead to more agape love? If not, it's probably not a true representation of Jesus. And in fact, John would say it's false doctrine. Don't believe everything you hear and test it all against scripture. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we do have the word of the God of the universe at our disposal to help us navigate the morass of untruth, the lies that we That we have available to us in our culture. The ones that they aren't just there waiting for us to find them, they're knocking at our doors, trying to sway us from a Christ centered life. Father, give us the wisdom that we need to discern between truth and error. And where there are parts of our lives that don't line up with what we say we believe, bring those into alignment with your your will and your plan for our lives as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and your commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters, and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us, and this service our gift to you. There is no expectation or obligation for you to give. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen. And for those of you who still use them, you can also mail a check to us. We'd like to thank those of you who subscribe, like, and share these messages with your friends. If you are listening on our podcast, feel free to leave a review. More of Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems, and we appreciate your help inviting others to check him out. We'll see you next week.